everybody likes guns. They just don't know it. Deep inside of the soul, there's a cowboy trying to get out. Welcome to New Shooter Canada. Please remember that the show's content and word pronunciation is simply the opinion of the host and their guests. Hello and welcome to New Shooter Canada, episode 209. I'm one of your hosts tonight, Mike, and tonight with me we have Amanda. Hi, Mike. Hi, and Josh. Hey, Mike. How are you two doing tonight? All right. Pretty good. How about you? Looking out the window and it's snowing. (laughs) <laughs> again actually it hasn't been that much snow this year at least for us i don't know about for you uh we got a pretty severe dumping two weeks ago and it's been really cold so it hasn't gone anywhere yet yeah so it just whatever keeps coming is accumulating on top so yeah uh, yeah but not too bad yeah so what did you get up to this week amanda hmm. well uh i was going a bit stir crazy um, I just had a lot of chaos going on and nowhere to blow off my steam, so I was super excited. Um, Josh made a note that we joined a new club. It's the Mitchell Fishing Game, and uh, they have a stocked pond, but I'll let Josh kind of get into that. So I was just really excited to go out and do some archery, and uh, you know, it was really hard to maneuver in winter gear, to be honest, but it was a lot of fun. So, But that was about it for me. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Josh will talk more detail about the club when we ask him. <laughs> yes. But I was going to say, that brings up a good point when you're talking about maneuvering in your clothing. Anyone who is interested in hunting should always try their equipment with their hunting clothes on. Right? Absolutely. Same idea as, you know, if all you ever do is shoot from a bench and then you go to hunt and you think you can take a standing shot with the same accuracy... You know, it's just not going to happen. And like you said, right, your winter clothes get in your way. So if you're going to be bulking up and you're going to be doing, especially archery, where there's a lot more movement involved in it, you know, Absolutely. you'll want you'll want to practice and find what works and what doesn't. Yeah, my my string was making funny noises, and I was I was wondering what that was. And I was like, oh, okay, because it's hitting my coat. <laughs> <It's> like, oh, <laughs> yeah. On the follow through, so I I found I couldn't get my my position very good. I felt like my coat was in the way. So might have and normally if it's not too cold out, I'll just wear my snow pants and a like a thicker long sleeve top. Um, then I don't feel so bulky, but it was just too cold today to do that. So um, definitely gonna have to find a different coat if I'm going to be doing archery without my with an extra layer on. So, yeah. but I got wallets pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, some bruise, bruises on your forearm. Bruises Ooh. on my forearm, even with the coat. Do they usually turn into bruises, or are they usually just, like, I always got, like, red marks, but they never bruised. Mine will turn purple and blue. I bruise easily. Okay. So, yeah, yeah maybe it's just me. Yeah. Like, I usually get a couple red ones, but it, if it hits the spot two or three times, which it definitely did, it, it'll turn purple. <laughs> well, I so. guess that's good for consistency. Yeah. <laughs> as long as the bruise is always in the same spot, you know you're doing the same thing every time. Right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so were you wearing gloves when you were doing this, or did you go barehanded? I did go barehanded, and because uh, I, I was using my uh, little finger tab. finger tab. There we go. Okay. Um, yeah, so to do that with gloves would be very, very bulky. Yeah. Uh, I, not 
I could have wore a glove on the other side, I suppose, but I just feel like I couldn't, I want to be able to feel how the bow is resting in my hand because it needs to have like a firm but loose grip at the same time, right? You don't want to over tighten it. Yeah, that would be just a totally different feel, right? It totally would be on. a different feel. Yeah. Yeah. So unless I was used to wearing gloves all the time, sport gloves or something, then uh, no, I I, I want to feel that wood handle right into the crevice of my my thumb and my pointer finger and kind of get a really good grip of it. So yeah, and I imagine just like with the insulation in the layer, it would almost slip a little bit in your hand too every time. I could see that. Yeah. Depending on the glove, too, right? So, like, yeah. I, I could have wore a pair of leathers, and it probably, would, like, even sporting leathers, that would have just, in general, been an extra layer of protection from the cold, but, um, and would have provided a little more grit. Well, I found after we did it for about 15, 20 minutes, my hands were warm enough anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We made sure to bundle up everywhere else. Like, we had snow boots, snow pants, the jacket, the hat. Like, we were completely covered, so... Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah. So how about that's you, it. Josh? Well, I, I don't have a lot more to add, but uh, I guess because our, our range has been closed since the lockdown, um, our board decided to close down rather than face the additional cleaning and liability of someone potentially contracting it at our club. So we just, they voted on it and we, we shut down for the time being, but we're going to open up again on the 17th. So that'll be exciting. We can go and actually shoot guns again. But in the meantime, yeah, we've been kind of going stir crazy. You want something to do, and the Mitchell fishing game is, is has been open this whole time. Um, and I, I didn't join there initially because they don't have firearms. It's just a stocked fish pond, and uh, they have an archery uh, course now, or just some archery targets now, and kind of a nature trail and that kind of thing. More of a social club than a than a shooting club, obviously. Um, so we've, we've always kind of uh, just done our thing at Milverton, but this kind of let us branch out and see what else is around. And um, since my, my oldest daughter's really gotten into fishing, she's been asking all the time to go fishing. So this could be a good opportunity to go and, and try ice fishing with her and um, try something new. I think there's rainbow and bass in there. Um, hopefully she can get something and keep and hold her interest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is that like a catch and release pond or do you get to take home it's, what you get? No, catch and release. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be kind of cool if we could take it home. <laughs> yeah. I, I could see Josh wanting to bring his um, Weber to cook yeah, it right up on site. I'll bring so. the barbecue right on the ice. And <laughs> <laughs> so were they doing? So were they doing ice fishing then? Right now. Yep. Yeah. There was there was only one guy out there this afternoon while we were there. Um, he had a little hut set up and. Yeah, they he's also, out there with his son. Yeah, they also have uh, it all cleaned off for skating mm-hmm. or hockey. Well, that's so, nice. Yeah, I'm going to go drill yeah. my hole right in the middle of the rink. <laughs> <laughs> right in the net, so every time someone scores and they go to get their pocket, where, where'd my puck go? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're going to try next weekend to bring the kids out and uh, see how long we can hold their interest. But I guess they can bring their skates, too, if they get bored, and they can go skate around. And, yeah. I thought we could bring their bows too. Yeah, if, yeah. I think it might be a little deep. It was. Yeah, there's how, about how a deep? foot and a half of snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and nobody had been out there. It's funny they did, they just put those targets in. Um, I think late summer, early fall, and uh, nobody's like there was two of the targets that hadn't even been shot at yet. So wow. there's not a lot of interest there for that. Hopefully we can stir that up a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So did the, yeah, did the sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and it's really convenient because it's close. It's not even five minutes outside of town. Oh, wow. That is nice. Yeah, that worked out well for us. And it's actually on my way to work. So maybe I should start bringing my bow (laughs) in the back. I drive past it every day. Yeah. Yeah. So does the club. Sorry? Sorry, I was just going to ask what you were uh, were going to ask. Um, Does the club provide a. what do you call it? A fishing hut? Like, no. is there a fishing hut there? Or do you have to bring your own, or you I don't bring know. your own? Okay. Yeah, the guy who was out there had just a little, like, a little pop up. Yeah. So it must Which be, a, think... it must be a pretty good sized pond then. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, I didn't really pay attention to the dimensions of it, but you could probably get about, I don't know, fifteen, twenty people out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking between ice fishing and a skating rink, like there has to be a decent amount of square footage. Yeah. Well, yeah. the ice rink part of it is is pretty small in comparison. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. But yeah, yeah, I would say it's great for like juniors, uh, like I would, maybe eight, nine, ten would probably be a good size for them to be doing that. Yeah. On there, it's just a small span, so. Yeah. Yeah, but and yeah, there was. I think you could easily put uh, three, three or four out there. Like they cleared off one particular space, but you obviously wouldn't want to overcrowd that one area. So you yeah. could go out and shovel out a portion for yourself. But they've been they've been flooding and grooming that area, so it yeah, should be good ice. should be good. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. That's pretty exciting that you guys have uh, have another club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> More volunteer time, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was pretty, It's it was only $70 for a family membership, so. Oh, that's good. You know. Yeah. yeah. No initiation fees, 70 bucks. What else, what else can you do, right? You can go there and have a picnic and whatever you want. Yeah, it's just a nice, good private outdoor space. Yeah. 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 That's exactly it. Yeah. What about you, Mike? So I finally got my motor from my bullet feeder. Um, I thought I was being smart by getting one that goes both clockwise and counterclockwise. So that way I'd have more (laughs) options in controlling it. And I thought, like, my brass feeder, when it jams, you have to kind of turn it backwards. So I thought, oh, this is going to be great. Bullet jam, I'll have some sort of programming in there, so it'll automatically reverse, right? Well, I found out that uh, this motor, every time you turn off the power and turn it back on, it switches directions on its own. So oh, wow. No, so there's no <laughs> real way for, like, a computer to know which way it's turning without, you know, putting in, a, a, like, some sensors in there or something like that, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of more work than I was planning on doing. So this could end up being, this could end up biting me in the butt, but we'll uh, we'll have to see how <laughs> it goes. Um, I haven't actually assembled it yet just because I haven't had the time, but hopefully I'll have the time this week. Um, so is this your Raspberry Pi project? Uh, yes. Well, it's going to be the pie and the uh, bullet feeder. So I want to, yeah, I want to tie the pie into it so that it will turn on and off, turn on and off the case feeder, and then start monitoring things like, uh, you know, how full my powder hopper is, um, you know, whether the ram is at the top or the bottom, whether the primer feeder is jammed back, which really I only put that sensor in there because Hornady, I don't even know if they still offer it, but they used to offer, I think they called it a control kit. And that's one of the things that it would, it would sense if the primer feeder got jammed back. 
But to be honest, I don't think I've ever actually had it jam back. So hmm. I don't know. I'm just doing it because they did it. If I find it's useless, I can always get rid of it later. But, you know, not a lot of effort to put in now. Yeah, uh, that's pretty neat. Yep. Uh, outside of that, I officially ended my break from practice from from practicing. And that includes my dry fire. So I started dry firing this week. Painted up a little bit, but uh, it's going good so far. And uh, I realized I, I miss dry firing. Like it, uh, it really is. It does interest me. Just not as much as actually shooting, but it does interest me. <laughs> yeah, so. keeps your head in it, right? Yeah. Well, that and it's one of those things where you're constantly trying to like learn something, so it's it's engaging as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's the way you you try new things and see what works and see what doesn't and sometimes it explodes hilariously terrible and sometimes it goes well and you learn something new yeah 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 that's about it Uh, things have been relatively slow here with nothing getting together and yeah no matches so that's that's changing next weekend so hopefully i'll get out there and i'll uh, get to shoot something what color are you guys moving to uh green i believe Lucky. Yeah. What color are you moving to? Orange. orange. Okay. I believe Ottawa is moving into orange. So, although I'm in green, pretty much all the services that I would usually go to are still in orange. Oh, dear. Yeah. So, did you figure out what was with the spare parts that you had left over when you took your gun apart last week or two weeks oh, ago? Oh, yeah. When the, after, <laughs> after the pod... Yeah, so I should go back on that. After the podcast, we talked about how I had completely stripped my uh my 627 and after the podcast i was sitting there and we we're all chatting and i looked down and i realized i found a shim sitting on the ground and i am 99 percent sure that shim is from the trigger of my 627 so either way the, i haven't actually had a chance to test out the primers yet i'm still hoping that it's good but i'm wondering if maybe that has something to do with the previous trigger pull maybe it was uh it was too tight of a shim and causing some dragging. Uh, if it was, then that would explain why all of a sudden my trigger pull is much lighter than it was before. Um, yeah. I don't need it in there. Like, it doesn't affect the functionality of the gun. It is just supposed to help keep your trigger perfectly straight. And in theory, it would help everything else go a lot smoother. But, I mean, if it if it works better without it, then why why put it in? So there's no play or anything in the trigger at this point. Uh, well, I mean, there, there, like, there is some play. Because really, what it does is it keeps your trigger like normally goes forward and back. The shim will keep it from going left and right, right. which can change the angle of the engagement between the trigger and your hammer. Mm-hmm. So that's where you want to keep it as straight as possible. But yeah, so I don't know why it seems to be working great now. Uh, I pretty much I don't want to take it apart and dry just to. To see if it works. Like, if it works great now and the trigger pulls, like, sub-7 pounds, that is an awesome trigger for a revolver. Even if it does have, like, a little bit of left and right play, that won't affect me enough to worry about it. But Cool. Yeah, so hopefully everything goes well. Fingers are still crossed on that. Hopefully I'll get to try <laughs> some primers this week and uh, we'll find out if it if it is working right or if uh, I need to replace my hammer spring. There you go. Yep. All right, so the main topic this week is sighting in. The, the last part of our rifle series of picking a scope, mounting it, and now we're finally going to sight it in. So uh, since we're on the subject, Josh, have you ever sighted in a, uh, a rifle? I have, yep. 
Yeah, every every gun that I've gotten, I've I've tried to sight it in. <laughs> Whether I'm doing it right or most efficiently, that's what we're going to figure out here tonight. But um, I've always managed to get it to get it where I need it. Um, just some some old coolies with iron sights, and it's relatively easy to change the the sight there. There's just a little like a little ladder um, little ladder shim that you adjust, and that's pretty much it. I've never played with uh, drifting the front post at all. I, I've never really done that. I usually just uh, adjust the the rear and hope for the best. <laughs> and with with a scope, um, yeah, I just uh, kind of the same idea. We have some really big uh, pieces of cardboard at the club. So I usually would, would take those out with me and then see where I'm hitting on that big piece of cardboard and then gradually bring it into where it needs to be. Yep. Which really is the essence of what you do to sight in, sight in any firearm, really. Yeah. 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 How about you, Amanda? Have you sighted in any firearms? Uh, with it, a lot of help. <laughs> with a lot of help. Uh, Josh, for the most part, took reins on that for me. Uh, I have the iron sight on my Savage Mark II, and then I do have a scope uh, on my Ruger um, 10-22. So I, I definitely needed a lot of help with that. I was actually very flustered trying to um, sight it in. I felt like I was going everywhere and I couldn't figure out why. Like, when... When is it enough for me to say, okay, there's something wrong here. I need to go back home, or I, I, I'm not. I don't, and, and try and redo this again, kind of thing. I I was completely lost, and uh, I just kind of had trust that the people who are more educated will help me. <laughs> and at this point, I haven't had a chance to really. But I do feel like my Ruger's off. Okay. Again. So I feel like this would be actually a good opportunity. Maybe got, maybe got bumped or something. Got bumped or something like that, or maybe it wasn't really. Didn't use Loctite. We didn't use Loctite, so I just want to see, just want to see how we can make it better. Or if it's just my aiming or like my, like my stance or that that's well, where my shots are. We do. Everywhere. We do have the uh, the club has a rest that yes, we can we use, do. and I usually bring some. Uh, Bring some wood clamps with me and clamp it to the table. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I've never thought of that. Yeah. Hmm. So is it it a good rest? It's just one of those Caldwell standard, I forget what it's called, but... The lead one. No, it's it's not heavy at all. Like, it's just a light rest. That's why I clamp it down, because it will move around quite a bit. But it, it cradles the rifle fairly well. It just uh, slides around. Well, I believe the lead sled... Isn't actually heavy, but it has like oh, okay. a spot in it where you can put stuff into it to make it heavy. Oh yeah, this one doesn't have that. Okay, yeah. It just has an adjustable front where you can dial it up and down, and you can just put the butt of the rifle into the into the rest, and that's yeah. really about it. Yeah. Well, that's good. My club has like a two by eight with like a little U cut out of it, with like a two by four on the bottom to like keep it. I'll air quote this steady. Well, you shoot, and that's my club's version of a rest. So yep. that sounds that sounds lovely. What you have, yeah, <laughs> yep. Uh, so, do you have your own rest at home? You bring then? Yes, I I bought a rifle rest, and I can't remember what it's called, and I can't see it from where I'm sitting, so I don't know what it is. But it's one that uh, so like you can do it at a rifle, and then you can take it apart, like take it in half, and then it essentially turns into a pistol rest as well. Which is oh, yeah. 
Really, I was more interested in the pistol rest, but, you know, a rifle rest is something useful to have, so it it sure. worked out well. Yeah. And it is not very heavy at all. It's all plastic, you know, mm-hmm. with, like, rubber for where your firearm sits, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how much did that uh, cost you? I have no idea. I can't remember. No. Okay, just <laughs> yeah. just a thought. We'll have I, to look that up. I wouldn't have bought anything ridiculously overpriced. Like I'm, I'm pretty cheap, so nothing crazy. And you wouldn't recommend using bags, obviously, because you could shift around. Oh, there's nothing wrong with bags if you know how to use them well. The problem is that's a skill in itself. So right. if if you were an accomplished, you know, long range shooter who uses bags, then I would say sure, if that's what you want to use, then go for it. But if you're brand new to this, then yeah, bags are not the most ideal option unless that's your only option right yeah yeah so ideal distance um i i would say it's 50 yards but that's also up until recently that was the furthest or sorry closest distance you could shoot rifles at my club so you can move (laughs) closer um but i usually found that 50 yards was a good starting point uh you're not too far away you know that you're your shots are all over the place. Also, you probably are going to be making a bunch of trips downrange, especially if you don't have a spotting scope. Actually, even more if you don't have a spotting scope. So 50 yards there and back is a lot nicer than 100 yards every time. Just food for thought. Um, yeah, it'll just be easier to sight in. So I personally think that's a good distance. What distance did you guys start uh, sighting in your firearms? 20. Yeah, our, our indoor range is 20 yards. Okay, so. yeah. That's what I sight everything in at, like my 22s, obviously. Yeah. Um, I do that. And then, uh, I don't know, I just, I compensate. Like, we have, when we go to 100 yards, I just compensate with my scope where I need to be. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I would say start farther away. Um, you can move closer if you're having problems, like if your shots are way off. And I've had that, and it was, it was my fault. The scope mount was not correctly, and it's, it wasn't a great scope mount. It was for my M305, which if anyone's played with that scope mount, it's held on by like a screw and a little bit of friction. And it, it's not <laughs> it's not very good because the gun was never really designed to have a scope on it. So I didn't realize it, but I was shooting like six feet to the side and I couldn't figure out why. So that's, or I couldn't even see my shots because they weren't even hitting the target. So that's one yeah. case where obviously moving closer will help you out. You'll be able to see... I don't know. Maybe we're just paranoid at our club because we always tell people to start it like on the outside outdoor range just to start at 20 yards or yeah. 25 yards just to make sure that nobody's going over the berm or anything <laughs> anywhere close to it. Yeah. Um, and, and then move back to 50. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe we're just being paranoid. Well, You'd have to be really far off to, yeah. to shoot over the berm. But mm-hmm. it's not a bad idea. My Just the way my club is set up, we have a common firing line for 50, 100, 200 yards. So... Right. If other people are there, you can't you can't obviously go downrange and shoot at 20 yards while sure. there's other people behind you shooting. So yeah. there is kind of there is like a rule that you can, if everyone else agrees, that it's essentially a ceasefire. Nobody else is allowed to be touching their firearms, as you'd expect, and you're allowed to go forward and shoot. You know, if you need to sight in like that. One of the right. problems with that though is now you have to essentially you know stand and freestyle it. Um, whereas if you're back at 
back at the 50 yard line, you can at least sit down at the bench and the bench will help you do a lot of the work. Right. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I always say start at 50 and then work your way out. Like if your goal is to, you know, take a 200 yard shot, you know, start at the 50, go to a hundred, then go out to 200. It'll make things easier. I mean, you can just get like a bullet drop calculator or ask a buddy who knows. Um, and they might tell you, Oh yeah, for, you know, and I'm just making stuff up. Don't take this to heart. Um, you know, 308 will drop six inches between 50 and 200 yards. Just say, well, you could just switch right over, but sometimes things go wild. Maybe your ammunition isn't as uh, high quality as you thought it was. And you'll start missing the board completely or, and you'll kind of get like a false result from that. So I always find it easier to progressively go out. And if everything if everything was zeroed at 50, then theoretically moving to 100 should just drop your bullet a little bit, right? And then you can bring right. it back up with the adjustments, and then you can move to 200. And yes, it will drop a little bit, but theoretically it should just drop straight down, and there'll be smaller increments each time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so your ideal target, I would say when you first start out, Something like a large sheet of paper or like you said, uh, just like a large piece of cardboard that hasn't been shot at or all. Like if you're lucky and your club just changed the backers and you're the first one there and there's no <laughs> bullet holes on it, you know, and you have three feet by four feet, you know, backers or something like that, that, yep. that would be great. Because, um, yeah, because you don't you want to be able to see your hit no matter how far off you are when you start. And sometimes you, you just don't know how far off you're going to be. Um, in that case, just draw a you know, a dot in the middle of the target so that you have something to aim at and to like focus on and yeah, start there. And when you get a shot, you start dialing it in from there. So you have like a rough idea, like, Oh, it's high, right. Just say, so you start dialing it in. And usually I try to get my shots. Like I'm not trying to get like a dime sized group. I'm just trying to get within like a couple inches of that dot so that I know when I switch to a smaller target, like your, uh, those targets that you see out there with the grids on them that have like a, whether they're an inch or a half inch, whatever your preference is. I want to make sure that if I switch to that target, my shots are all going to at least hit that piece of paper. Cause once again, it's no good. If you're not even hitting that piece of paper, you won't know where they're going. Um, so do you usually shoot three, three shots before you make an adjustment or not? <laughs> I'm not saying that this is always the best way to do it, but this is just how I do it. I usually just start off with just one shot. And that's it's really just way off. You know that you're, yeah. What's the point? Right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're just make we're making, and sometimes we're not like sitting there going one inch over and one inch down at a time when you're three feet off, you're pretty right. much just, boom, just spinning that dial and, <laughs> you know, and stop. And okay. You know, you can do the counting and there's nothing wrong with that. And I usually do count, but I mean, you're trying to move it, you know, sometimes 20 inches at a time to say, and that's right. a lot. That's a lot, and any slight variation that it might not be exactly, you know, an inch or something like that, you're you're not going to get it on your first try. Or if you do, you're just really lucky, as far as I'm right. concerned. Right. So I usually just do one shot at a time until, like I said, I get to that whatever four inches around the target, so that I know that I'll hit a piece like a your standard eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper. And at that point in time, I will take a couple of shots just to confirm that yes, it is in that four inch group, and I didn't just get a lucky shot. Yep. Um, I would also say now this this is my opinion once again. I usually use cheap ammo to start with my sighting end too. Um, you know, especially if you're talking like hunting ammo where you're paying 
I don't know what, $3 a shot or something like that. You don't necessarily want to be dumping 20, 30 round, just trying to get it, you know, on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, depending on how right. long it takes you. <laughs> so that's why I always go with, you know, your cheap ammo, get that close. Cause I, you know, usually your hunting ammo and your target ammo and all that stuff, it's going to be relatively close. They have, you know, they all have little quirks and they might, you know, one might go a little faster than the other, but it will all stay, I would say, most likely on a sheet of eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, even if you switch ammunition at 50 yards. Yeah. And that's your kill zone anyways, right? Like how big do you need it, right? Yeah. And yeah. And once again, we're also talking at 50 yards or closer, right? If you're doing 200 yards, yeah, it, it, you might miss the paper if you switched ammo, but at 50 yards, you're, you're probably fine or you should be fine, I should say. Um, but yeah, and yeah, so at the very end, you can switch back to your hunting stuff just to make sure that you're good. But yeah, just start with the cheap ammo. Um, so yeah, so get yourself in a stable position, use a bench and a shooting rest for best results. Obviously you want to, you want to take you out of it as much as possible. You want it to just be the rifle. Um, you want to not move the rifle as much. Yeah, pretty much you, you want to be out of this equation. You want it to be purely, you know, the rifle and the ammunition and see what happens where or where it lands. Um, I guess if you had to, if you had to do it freehand, you probably want to go prone, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like we talked about, I think in the last episode, we were talking about, you know, your steadiest position is like probably bench prone, kneeling, standing. So if you, if you have to do this in your backyard, you know, I would do prone. If the grass is too long and you can't do prone, then I would tr try kneeling or sitting first. And then I would, last resort, I'd go standing. Unless, of course, you have like a post or something like that that you can rest your gun on. But, you know, it's just your situation, right? Yeah. Take, take, take the most stable position you can. Um, yeah, so after you've gotten it down to, like I said, probably within four inches or so of that, uh, of that circle, um, and you take a couple extra shots just to make sure that it wasn't, you know, fluke or a luck that you were actually getting close to your center. Um, yeah, you switch that to the grid paper. And the grid paper is nice because as long as you know what your grid is, which most targets that you print with the grid on it will actually say right on it, whether it's a half inch or one inch grids, um, you can start doing, you know, take three shots. And you kind of take the center of those three shots. You kind of take the, you can almost say like the average of it. You kind of center them, assuming that you don't have any wild shot that are, you know, three feet to the left. You just, you can't count those. Um, and then you'll figure out how many inches you need to move, you know, left, right, up or down to get to your zero. And you turn that into your dial and then you take another three shots. Um, I would also recommend if you can, you get a fresh sheet of paper every time you do a new three-shot group. Um, sometimes you make an adjustment and it doesn't go the either you turned it the wrong way and then you can't figure out what happened, or just say you're trying to like micro, like you're you're down to that last half inch, quarter inch. You're trying to you know move that dime just over a little bit. It can be hard to see whether you actually moved it or not. So that's where like a fresh target really comes in handy. Yeah. And you need that grid also because, like, there's no way can you just eyeball it from 50 yards away. Even if you have a spotting scope, you're like, oh, yeah, that's clearly an inch if it's just a blank sheet of paper with a black dot in the middle. So so, so that brings up something that often throws me off um, when you're chasing that, that dot. So when you're making your adjustments, um, 
I guess the the way you got to think about it, are you are you turning the are you turning towards the the middle or are you turning towards where you just hit when you're adjusting the dials? You know, you know what I mean? Um, like, are you following the shots with the dials or like if you're if you're adjusting your crosshairs after you've taken the shot? Okay, I'm trying to wrap my head around the question. Yeah. You're asking, do you move the the crosshair to the hole, or do you move the hole to the to the crosshair? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then and then adjust. Oh, great! You asked me a question. I don't know the answer for it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you move the crosshair to the dot. Okay. I mean, it's usually one of those things, and I do this. I admit, I do this all the time. I get yeah. it backwards too, and yeah. you take your shot. And then you go to the next your next piece of paper, you take your shot, and you're like, man, I was yeah, two inches to the left, <laughs> and now all of a sudden I'm four inches to the left. And then you realize, I'm an idiot. I turned the dial the wrong way. Right, and that's what I was getting at. That happens to me a lot. <laughs> yeah, that happens to me more often than I'd like to admit. Yeah. <laughs> iron sights, when you're doing iron sights, it's a lot easier to kind of, like, because you can literally, like, see where it is. But with, like, a, I find with the, the crosshairs and the scope, you don't actually see them move. So you can't really you know, wrap your brain around quite as easily as you can with iron sights. Well, you, you kind of do, I guess, because if you if you have it anchored down on your rest and you look through the scope and you turn the dial, you'll see you'll see where you're going. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you're also assuming that the rifle is like anchored to the rest. Right. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm sure there are some out there. And actually, I think they have them called like ransom rest or whatever. And that's usually when you're like, pulling the trigger from behind a berm because you think you might blow up your gun kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't even know of any other rest besides that one that actually anchors your gun down. Usually they there's an open top, so you just literally sit your gun on the top. So every shot you take, your gun is going to move from the recoil, which is okay. That, that, when the recoil happens, your bullet's gone. It's okay. It's more with the rest and everything, it's more about taking you out of it so that you're not yanking the trigger to the side or if you were trying to rest it, you know, and you're balancing your elbow on your on your bench and holding onto your rifle, there's going to be some sway to it if you were doing it that way. That's more what the rest is to take out, not to clamp the rifle down and not allow it to move at all. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. I I have tried like holding a rifle steady and like turning a dial and trying to see which way it goes, but I I don't either I don't see it or I just don't notice it, or I'm <laughs> not or I'm not turning it far enough to see a difference, and right. I also you know if I'm getting close and I get confused which way it's going I really don't want to turn it 20 inches down, you know just to figure out whether it's in the right way or not because I might just completely mess up my whole sighting if I do that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yes, yeah, so why do that? I would do, like I said, three shot group. Uh, when you get real, like when you think you're right on and you think you're sighted in, I mean, you're going to shoot a whole pile after, presumably, right? You sighted your gun in, so you can keep shooting. I would usually do a larger count group, maybe five, something like that, and that once again, you're trying to be that as accurate as possible for those shots, um, and. It just kind of gives you the more shots you take, the more you're taking out, uh, like the randomness factor of oh, this round had a little bit more. There was a wind gush when you took your shot. Uh, maybe you pulled the trigger a little bit hard to the to the right, or any other factor, right? You're you're you end up 
what's the what's the thing from stats? You you create a larger pool of information that you can draw a conclusion from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So once I usually get that and I'm happy and I've taken a few extra shots just to make sure that I'm happy, that at that point in time I usually go out and like even when I know I'm going all the way up to 200 yards, I will still go 50, 100, 200, and it just makes things easier. Because not to mention, once again, when you're up to 200 yards, you know, it starts getting hard to see with a spotting scope where your shots are. Um, you know, if your scope, not that it's not a good quality, but maybe it just doesn't have the magnification that allows you to see bullet holes at 200 yards. Right. It's just nice to not spend so much time because, once again, that could mean walking there and back every time. <laughs> I would say what is very useful when you get to that point where you're having trouble seeing is those, uh, I think they're called shoot-and-see targets. Oh, yeah, which, it's like a paint. Like yeah, a paint. It, it's like a yeah. black target, like, and it obviously has, like, whatever, a red dot in the middle, whatever you buy. But when you shoot it and it hits and your bullet goes through, it will, yeah, it'll, like, chip away that top layer of paint and it will reveal the color behind it, usually something really obvious, like a neon, pink, yellow, orange, something yeah. like that. And that makes it very helpful when you start getting out to those 200 yards, especially if you're shooting small calibers, like when I'm shooting my 22-250, it's a mm -hmm. 22 caliber bullet at 200 yards. It is hard, <laughs> like, you, you pretty, I pretty much say you can't see your bullet holes, right? Yeah, I, and yeah. I've had it where it's like, oh yeah, I can definitely see my bullet hole. And you go up and you realize like, nope, I was looking at a staple. Like the staple was easier to see than the bullet hole. So, you know, in cases like that, that's where like that shoot and see target really can come in handy. Yeah, for sure. So I have a question. Yep. Uh, would there be maybe a different range settings to be looking at for smaller calibers like 22s? I don't know. Like, obviously, shooting a 22 at 200 yards seemed a little unfeasible to me. I, I don't know. Do people do that? Yes. Do they? They do. Yeah. Well, um, now more so with the uh, outlaw rimfire precision stuff that's going on. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> From what I remember someone telling me once is that a 22 rimfire at 200 yards is the equivalent, it's roughly the equivalent of a 308 at I think a thousand yards or maybe at 800 yards. Wow. So, okay. so if you if if your range is limited to 200 yards, but you want to, I guess practice shooting all the way up to a thousand with the 308 maybe you only can get to you know that range not very often maybe it's like an hour and a half drive and you don't want to do that every weekend okay. but your your local club is half an hour away then it gives you the opportunity to practice a lot of the fundamentals that go into shooting that long range but obviously with it like a scale down essentially okay well yeah. no yeah just a thought about it just because i know my 100 yard shots like I hit paper, but that's about that's about it. So obviously it's yeah. more of a skill that I need to be focusing on then. Yeah. Because you don't see too many participating with twenty twos. I know Josh does, but yeah. Uh, like uh, and I have, and I mean I certainly wasn't in the worst, but I wasn't the best either. I just have a lot of twenty twos because I'm cheap. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't mind something with a little more kick to it, but yeah, this, I was just curious, like if a lot of people do shoot longer, longer ranges yeah. uh, than than the hundred. I I don't know if I would say a lot of people because like a three away at we'll say it's a thousand yards. That takes a lot of skill to hit, you know, a small target that far away. 
with yeah. a 308. So, like, you have to be a certain caliber person who is going to effectively be shooting, you know, 200 yards with a 22. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I go to the range all the time, and there's people with 308s and other, ca- like, large calibers that are shooting 200 yards and still struggling. I shouldn't say struggling. They're hitting the target, but they're not making dime-sized groups in the bullseye. Yeah. So... They're the skill level in that. And, yeah, when you're shooting 22, that's especially important to uh, take small increments and moving further and further away because that bullet is going to drop. You know, it just doesn't have the velocity, or it has the velocity, obviously, to get out there, but it just doesn't have enough to keep it level, right? Fair. Yeah. Um, But as to your question, like, where would I start with a 22? I think a 22, like, to uh, sight in a 22 at 50 yards is fine. Okay. Right? I think it's it's close enough that it's not going to hinder you. I would say definitely like 50 yards and in for a 22. I wouldn't go further out when you you know sit down with your brand new 22 for your okay. first shots. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But like I said, it all depends on your club and like our club. We just opened up two new bays and we're allowed to shoot rifles in them now. And they are. I measured them out just because they're base that I'll run matches in. They're 44 yards long, but there's no benches to sit, like sit and bench your gun. So you kind of have to weigh that. What's more important, a rock, st- rock steady positioning or, you know, being a little bit closer. Yeah. Right. So, gotcha. Yeah. So it's, it's your choice. Like it's, if you're sighting it in, it's your choice, which way you want to go. Um, if you sight, if you set up your scope and everything right, I've never been that far off from zero, right? I've never been dead on on my first try, but I've never been like six feet off except for the one time. And now it's because the <laughs> mount was not on correctly or I should yeah. say it shifted at some point in time. And it's one of those things where I was getting frustrated and I stood up and I just kind of stood up and to take a breath and the rifle was standing up because it was on a bipod at the time. And I looked down and just standing there looking at it, I could be like, that scope is not lined up with that barrel. And I was okay. like, and I was like, this is why I'm like six, seven feet off and I can't yeah. seem to get it anywhere near. So I'd say usually if you're, yeah, for 50 yards and in, you're, you, if you mount your scope properly, you're probably going to be in good hands. Yeah. So if, if you got like a, like a used gun with a used scope, um, is it important to start off at zero, like to know that your crosshairs, like your reticle is at zero, or would you just start shooting and adjust from there? I don't think it would matter a whole lot. Like, I think what you're talking about is where you, like, you would turn a dial essentially all the way clockwise, yeah. get to the end, and then you would count how many clicks when you go the other way, all right. the way to the other end, then you put it in the middle. Right. Uh, I can see the benefit of something like that. But if you're getting a new gun with a rifle on it, or, or sorry, like a, a used one, I'm assuming your situation is, a used yeah. gun with the scope already on it, it's probably, like, most likely the person had it at least on paper at 50 yards. Right. <laughs> right? Otherwise, maybe that's why they sold the gun. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so that I would say that's an extreme circumstance. Now, if you are buying a used scope, like just the scope, and you're going to mount it on a gun, maybe I would do something like that because you don't know what gun it came off of and you don't know where they had to adjust it to get it sighted in properly right right and you also don't know what they had it sighted in for right did they have it sighted in for a thousand yard shot or did they have it sighted in for you know 15 yards so maybe best just to start fresh yeah in a case like that i would say it'd be a good idea to start fresh 
Now, I will say I've never bought a scope used. I've never actually really thought about buying a scope used, but I guess there's really nothing wrong with doing that. Yeah. For, yep. Like, I mean, you take the same risk as buying a used gun. I'd actually say less risk because a used gun could blow up in your hands. Use, <laughs> right. A used scope you. will just suck if it's really, if it's bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Would it maybe just creep you out because somebody else's eye has been near it? <laughs> that well, one. Hopefully, hopefully the eye hasn't touched it. Yeah. <laughs> if you see a little blood around the top of it, <laughs> you know that you know why they sold the scope. They probably got hit yeah. once and through this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, my my most frustrating sighting and experience was my first centerfire rifle. Um, I got an SKS and I bought <laughs> surplus ammo. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. I'm not, I can't group at all. What's going on before I knew any better, right? That yeah. the surplus ammo is just garbage and it's going all over the place. But <laughs> the SKS isn't exactly a uh, tack driver either. No, no, not, so, not at all. <laughs> yeah, which is a good point. You should know the limitations of your system so right. that you don't get frustrated, right? And the SKS is, you know, essentially minute of man, right? Right. It's not dime <laughs> size group. So you just kind of accept what you have and you go from there. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that handguns are a lot more accurate, but I mean, sighting in your handguns, the same thing. Obviously you're going to want to be a heck of a lot closer than 50 yards when you start <laughs> out, um, because that bullet's going to drop. It probably won't even be useful. Um, but like, I know I can't make dime size groups with my guns and I don't necessarily think it's the guns. I think a lot of it has to do with me. So that, that's just the amount of accuracy that I accept. Mm-hmm. And in all my uh, outside of PPC, all my games, it's like a an eight inch circle is a good, or I should say, good enough. I yeah. I can usually do a much better group than an eight inch circle. Like I know I can do a much better group than an eight inch circle, but you don't need to be bullseye for the games I play. Yeah. Whereas we shoot bullseye sometimes at our club, and I'd want to be dead and, on. <laughs> yeah, and it would matter. Yeah, it would matter a lot more to you for for those games. When you when you sight in your uh, pistols, do you go center mass or you do uh, six o'clock hold or how do you sight in usually? Um, <sighs> I go back and forth on what I'd like to have. Um, I usually find that for the shooting I do, once again for the accuracy level I need, it usually doesn't make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, right. Like I would say probably. 80 to 90% of all my shots are actually, I'd say like, I would say 95% of my shots are within 15 yards, probably something like 90, 85 or within 10. So that how, how accurate I need to be isn't as tight as like you said for bullseye. Well, Um, I found with my 22, um, it was center mass. And then when I made the switch to six o'clock hold, my, my accuracy improved greatly. Yeah. Like there was a, there was a huge jump in my, in my success once yeah. I did that. I think a lot of it also has to do with what target you're shooting at. So obviously yeah. game, right? When you're shooting a bullseye and if, you know, if your front post is hiding the target. <laughs> exactly. Right. And like, yeah, if, if your, if your target zone, like what your, your aiming point is so small that you have trouble seeing it, you know, like I, like you said, right? If it's not sitting on top, then on top of your front post, um, then yeah, you could have a lot of trouble with that. But so maybe, maybe the same thing with a rifle too, right? If you're sighting in an iron sight and you're, 
having trouble seeing the the target, you yeah. might want to do that as well. Yeah. yeah. And that is consideration, right? Like, do you need to see your target or not? And it's not that you're not going to see it. It's just usually you're slicing your, like, oh, I'm imagining a perfectly round circle. Either yeah. you put the perfectly round circle sitting on top of your front sight, or you slice it in half. So you only see half your target. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like you said, I think it also has a lot to do with how long you have to take your shot. Because I think yeah. if you have time, you know, uh, sitting on top, whatever, it would be easier, I think, to slice it in half if you have time. Mm-hmm. Whereas sitting on top is a lot easier because you can, it's much more easier, I think, for your brain to see it sitting on top of your front post and say, yes, that's what I want to hit. As opposed to when you're slicing it in half and you're saying, well, where is half? Right. right. How big right. is the circle? Did it go all the way to the edges of my front sight or not? Like it can be a little bit more tricky, I find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Now, mind you, from what I've understand, heard, this hasn't really applied to me a whole heck of a lot, but I've heard that if you do six o'clock hold, your point of aim, point of impact will change a lot more based on your distance to your target as opposed right. to if you do a center hold. But yeah. 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 So. Well, what I like about it too, though, is uh, there's more contrast between, like you'll see the white space between your center post and the two side posts. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if it's all on the target, it's just all black. Right? Yeah, so. that that's a very good point. That's something else to consider yeah. too. Yep. Yeah. So I, so for the longest time, I always did six o'clock hold on my revolver. But that had a lot to do with the fact that I couldn't adjust my sights enough to make it a center mass. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't really have a choice. I couldn't, yeah, I, I didn't have enough adjustment. I even bought a, a new front sight post and I specifically got one taller, but it still didn't quite get what I wanted out of it. So I I just kind of accept that I usually take roughly a six o'clock hole because that's where it is. Um, once again, for the shooting I do, you know, an eight-inch circle at 10 yards away, it doesn't really matter whether you're doing a six o'clock hold or a center mass at that point, because you're yeah. talking about, you know, your aiming point is, I'm going to say not even an inch lower at that point. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I only do that with my 22. My my nine mil is, is center mass. and Yeah. And I'd also say it also depends on what you're focusing on, like whether you are a front sight focused person or a target focused person that will change your perspective of things because if you're a front sight focused person, I think it's easier to, if you're front sight, I think it's easier to do center mass. If you are target focused, I think it's easier to do six o'clock. And I would consider myself uh, more front post focused. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, for bullseye shooting, I think that's what you should be focusing on is your front sight more. Yeah. Um, this year with my new dry fire, I am trying to switch to a target focus. I am hmm. not an expert, but from people who claim to be experts, they say that a front, a target focus is faster for action shooting. You just kind of, you, you know, you kind of see it and your gun will go there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think part of the logic is, is if you're transitioning from one target to the other, if you are front sight, front post, front sight focus on your first target, and then you go to switch to your next one. The, what you're supposed to do is look at the target and the gun will follow. That is, from the expert, the fastest way to do it. So that means that you're going from your front sight 
to a target. And then when your gun gets there, you're going back to your front sight again. Right. And that is you're transitioning back and forth. And, you know, whether this takes, you know, microseconds or, you know, 0.1 of a second, when you're trying to shave that, those, you know, minute seconds down to make grandmaster, it matters. Whereas I find as, I, as I get older, my eyes don't adjust as fast. Yeah. Yep. And you know what? It depends on the day. It depends on how tired you are. It depends on, yeah, the lighting. Um, like so many different things can change how well you can focus on different things and how fast you can transition. That's why I'm trying to switch my shooting to a more target focus so that I'm always just focused on the target and I don't have to switch back. Hmm. And in which case now I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of still back and forth. I have to go live fire this. Of course, I haven't gotten out yet because I think today high was like minus 16. And yeah, <laughs> I'm not going outside of minus 16 because yeah, sight. take into consideration your, uh, your weather conditions when you go sight in, because if it's pouring rain or it's a hurricane force wind or you're freezing cold, <laughs> all that stuff is going to affect your sighting in. So yeah, you want to take your time. Yeah, exactly. And I want to know that when I'm doing it, I'm getting good, accurate information when I'm doing it and good repeatable information. So I haven't really gone and put this on a timer yet, but I'm, I kind of get the feeling as I'm doing it, I'm doing more center mass hold because I think when I'm staring at the target and I see, and I see my front sight, I naturally want to put it where I'm already looking. That makes sense. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing a six o'clock hold, depending on how low of a six o'clock hold you're doing, you would possibly want to like almost bring the gun over and then almost drop it to know that you're going to hit your target, which it just wasted time. Right. Yeah. So, yep. That whole target uh, focus concept kind of reminds me of archery. Yeah. Cause that's exactly what you're supposed to do is you're not supposed to look at like where your tip of your arrow is. You're supposed to look at your target and the rest will follow with it. The yeah. whole, your body starts to do memory retention yep. so that you you're aware so yep. kind of neat that you can cross between the two yeah same I, idea yeah i would say it's pretty much the exact same idea the only difference is that when you're shooting again is that you will still see the sights in your peripheral yeah right which is one thing that makes uh fiber optics front sights so great because <laughs> like i'm dry firing in my basement and it's not very well lit, and I can tell the difference when I go outside. Because I go outside, and all of a sudden, I'm like, man, that that red dot is so bright. But yet, in my basement, <laughs> I'm like, I, where where is it? So, like that yeah. that fiber optic will really change, like help you see it in your peripheral a lot better. And obviously, if you see it in your peripheral, you'll be a lot more confident that hey, my shot went where I think it went. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. Um, yeah, and then obviously, if you're talking like red dots on handguns or things like that then you put the dot, well, I would say you put the dot where you want the bullet to go, mm-hmm. right? You don't, you don't do some like below your target. And I, and I could understand someone's concept if they were shooting really long, like not really, but longer ranges with a red dot. And they said, Hey, I want to be able to see my target. And I don't want that dot to become so large compared to the target that it covered up the target. Uh, and, that makes sense. But that's where I would say you're, you've hit your, you're hitting your limitations of a red dot at that point. Right. Not that can you get a red dot that's a ring. Can you get a red dot that's a ring instead of a dot? You so I don't know if you can get one that's just a ring. Actually, you know what? I think there are some that are rings, but the thing is that the ring is still relatively small. 
Right. Because at close distance, you still you almost use it as a dot, even though how it technically is a ring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I would question if you're reaching the distances where it matters where you see your target, that you might just be kind of far, pretty far for you know an, a non-magnifying or er, red dot site to begin with. Yeah. 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 And I think most targets that have a or a red dot that have a have a ring still have a dot in the middle. Okay. And usually those concepts are, they can be used for like oh elevation for like a certain height shot, like if you're to use the outside ring instead of the dot. But also it's uh, from my understanding, it's also meant so that you would know that hey, from ten yards and in, I just need the ring to be close to my center target, and I know that it will be good enough. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a larger, almost like a larger front sight to see as opposed to the small pinpoint that you could use if you're trying to make a very accurate shot. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, that you want your dot covering up your target. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit different of a game. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So I, I think that's relatively it. I think, uh, you now have sighted in your, your rifle <laughs> or, or your firearm. Um, Good luck. Congratulations. There we go. Pardon me? Let's go to the range. We're ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should be it should be good at that point. Um if you if you have trouble with it, don't feel bad about it. Like I still have trouble whenever I'm sighting in my firearms. I still screw stuff up all the time. Um it just happens like unless you do it a lot and frequently, you're just going to forget how to do it, right? And I I don't sight in a lot of firearms, right? Like I sight in my handguns when I get a new one or like I change out my front sight or something like that. Or unless something, you know, I can see that, hey, I I broke my front sight or something off bent, you know, and you know it's going to be off. That's the only time I usually sight in. Outside of that, it gets sighted in once and it never gets touched again. Yep. Right? I make a point that (laughs) as chief of the person that I am, I would rather buy a scope for every rifle I want to scope on it, just so I don't have to recite it in every time I move it. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, I actually took my red dot off my AR and put it on my shotgun for a shotgun pistol match one time. And I just <laughs> figured out where my shot was compared to the red dot because I didn't want to move it and have to recite it in on my AR later. Right. And I understand you probably could be, you could count it out or like I would write it down because if you forget, you're going to get screwed up. But I guess you could be like, oh, yeah, I moved it, you know, two inches down and one inch left. And you could remember that and move back and forth. But to me, that's I feel like that's asking for trouble. So how, but, how did it work out on your shotgun? Did it uh, hold zero? Like, was it a lot of re- too much recoil for it or? Oh, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? My red dot was close enough. Like it was, it was close enough that we're using birdshot at like, once again, 10, maybe 15 yards at the furthest. Cause this is just a short range shotgun pistol match. There's no slugs, no accurate, like no super accurate shots. You know, you're, you're trying to hit a clay on a, on a post essentially. Yeah. So it was close enough that, you know, you just put the red dot on the clay and you pull the trigger and it's going to, it's going to go every time. So I've been I've been really thinking about putting a red dot on my SXP because it's all black. It would look really cool. It's yeah. already drilled and tapped. It's ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, looking to sell it. No. 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 You <laughs> changed your mind. Sell a gun. Yeah, you. Sell, I don't know. Sell I, gun. I don't know how to sell a gun. Obviously, you <laughs> changed your mind then. <laughs> that, that's funny because Sarah and I were got into a discussion this week about selling guns, and I said, "Yeah, I might sell this gun," and she's like. You have a gun in your safe. 
that you've been holding on to for five years because a friend who doesn't have a firearms license, who probably hadn't gone shooting since I took him five years ago, said he would buy it from me. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, that's the closest I've ever gotten to selling a gun, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm all for uh, having a, a nice stockpile. I was just bringing up the fact we had talked about his potential of selling it yeah. or trading it. So, yeah. but I mean, I could see that you would want to keep it and putting a scope on it would be a great idea. I'm all for it. Yeah. 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 And I mean, a new scope is a lot cheaper than a new gun. I should say with, <laughs> a, with an asterisk on there, most, most scopes are a lot cheaper than most new guns. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. So, because I know there's someone out there that's going to be saying, oh, well, I spent $20,000 on my scope. And it's like, well, I would yeah. never spend that oh, much yeah. on a gun. so <laughs> Or a car. <laughs> yeah. You just spent three times as much as I spent on my last car. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah. Um, I hope that helps people out. I hope that they feel confident now listening to, well, they're disjointed, but the last three episodes of that uh, series to select yourself a scope and mount it and take it out to the range and start sighting it in and be accurate with it and don't waste yourself a thousand rounds. <laughs> Cause yeah. Yeah. If, I really have to iterate. Use cheap ammo if you can. I understand that it's not going to be as accurate and your, your point of aim point of impact will shift when you switch over to your better ammunition. But yeah, like the SKS ammo that comes in the wooden crate, <laughs> maybe not the best for no. like for starting this, but for most people, like whatever, I don't even know what the the cheaper lines of the name brand. Like I don't know, like the Winchester White Box. I think Federal. It's like a, I want to say it's a blue box, but I have some hunting stuff that's in the blue box, so I'm I'm not sure. But I mean, if you have a reputable brand, even if it's their discount ammo or their you know their cost effective stuff, it's going to be good and good enough quality that you can get this sighting process started. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Yep. Anyways, if you have any feedback, questions, or comments, you can send them to host at newshootercanada.ca, our Facebook page, or the comment section on our website at newshootercanada.ca. So if you uh, completely disagree with me and you think I'm a fool for everything I've said, send me a <laughs> message. And then I'll you can right come. Then you can. <laughs> I was gonna say you can come on and tell me why I'm wrong. You <laughs> would love that. Yeah, I I think it would be great if someone could if someone wants to call me out, I would accept it in strides. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. But they have to be ready to to battle it out, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would use battle with air quotes because like, yeah. Air quote. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. How about uh, uh, constructive criticism and challenging? I don't know. Yes, yeah, I I think that is a very good way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, we're all open to constructive criticism, but be you know, ready Tom to have a rebuttal. <laughs> yeah. You know, Thomas is now going to come on and be like, so, Mike, I have a problem with some of the stuff you said last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally would. Oh, geez. Because yeah. he does it quite often at his work, too, right? So. Well, yeah, he, he does. I think that's part of his job. Is if you buy, and now I don't know specifically, but I imagine if you bought a new rifle and scope combination or something of the sort, and you said, hey, can you get this sighted in? 
he might not get it hitting dime-sized groups at 200 yards, but he's going to get you close. He'll do a lot of the legwork for you to begin with. So that when yeah. you go to the range, you don't have to start with that giant sheet of paper in case you're two feet off. You know, you can pretty much put up your target. And I don't know, you might even be able to say to him, hey, I want to shoot this out to 200 yards. And he might be able to adjust their sighting system to get you on paper at 200 yards. So you can skip the 50 and the 100. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll, uh, we'll have to, hopefully he's listening to this and he'll uh, chime in next next episode and we'll find out about that. Sounds good. Yep. All right. Uh, do either of you have any shout outs? Uh, well, thanks to Scott Hudemorder for getting me to uh, join the Mitchell uh, fishing game. That's about it. <laughs> uh, I don't think I have any this week. Nope. Uh, what about you, Mike? I don't have any shout outs this week either, so uh, I guess we'll just uh, take it on out of here. Uh, time spent at the range is time spent with family. Go ahead and shoot like a girl. Choose your caliber wisely. Good night, everybody. Good night. Well, I really like 22 now. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or feedback you may have, or if you just want to call shenanigans. You can contact us at host at newshootercanada.ca or through our Facebook page. The way they look, I like the shiny steel and the polished wood. I don't care if they're big or small. They're for sale till I want them all. I like guns. I like guns. I like guns.